Amen. All right. Hey, as you're sitting down, you don't have a Bible, grab one off the back table. Mr. Corey's got a stack of them. And if you want to, plan to, would like to take notes, there's some KF student notebooks back there, and you are welcome to take one of those. Those are for you to have for free. How many of y'all had a good first day of school? Like, <laughs> wait, okay, I got to ask, because I've already been told by somebody in here, they said, we're homeschooled, we don't start till September. How many of you all get to do that? Uh, there's a couple of you. Okay, that's not a bad deal. The rest of you, hey, you made it through the first day. Congratulations. You only have 179 more to go. That sounds so positive, doesn't it? I know. It's, Ashlyn's over here like, I'm a senior? I don't care. 179 more days. And I, I talked to you guys about this last week. Um, you have the opportunity to make it a great year. You know, for, for those of you that have graduated, if you're going off to college, if you're going to work, whatever it is, staying here, going to school, whatever it is you're doing, you high schoolers, middle schoolers, as you start this school year, you have the opportunity to make it a great year, especially if you will focus on the two truths that we talked about last week from the book of First John. Does anybody remember what those two truths are? Laura. That's it right there. We saw that in First John chapter 1 last week. Jesus is real and Jesus calls us to pursue holiness. If you can remember those two things this school year, if you can focus on living those things out then you're going to have an unbelievable impact in your school, on the ball field, at home, wherever it is that God puts you this year. But that's not the only truth that we see as we walk through the book of 1 John. And we're going to see tonight, even as we start into 1 John chapter 2, he starts off with another truth that is very important for our lives. But before we jump into 1 John chapter 2, you guys know me, anytime we walk through a book, there's some basic things we need to understand about that book. So there's some questions that I ask. If you don't know the answers to the questions, it's okay. You can say the wrong one, that's fine. But everybody else will tell you the right one tonight because everybody knows all the answers, right? From last week, okay. And what that means is next week, you'll know the right answers too. So let's start here. Who wrote the book? Ah, trick question. This, do you remember what other books in the Bible are technically anonymous? Hebrews, that's absolutely right. The letters 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and Hebrews, they're really anonymous. But scholars through the study of these books of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John and the study of the book of John, and what other book did he write? Revelation. Through studying those books, there's a lot of similarities, there's a lot of language, there's references to the exact same things. So scholars credit these three letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, to John who wrote those other books. Now, when do we believe it was written? Yes, nine, long time ago. What'd you say? Yeah, 90 to 95 AD. So a long time ago is always the right answer, but let's get a little more specific. 90 to 95 AD, who do we believe it was written to? To believers, yes. Do you have any idea of where we think those believers might have been? This, this, again, this is our best guess. What's that? At a church? Yeah, the believers in a church. Yes, I mean, you're absolutely right. Specifically, scholars think it might have been written to believers who were living around the area of Ephesus. Okay, so again, 
Some of that's a little speculation. We don't know that for sure, but that's the best guess. Does anybody remember the main idea? And I'll give you a hint. There were three of them that pop up over and over again in this book. Laura? Yeah, somebody who just said that over here. Yes, I was going to say, I just heard it over here. Truth, obedience, and love. And the funny thing is how those keep popping up in the first 14 verses of 1 John chapter 2. Those are the exact three things that we're going to see tonight. And those main ideas will keep coming up over and over again. Do you remember why this book was written? False what? Teachers. Yeah, that's absolutely right. To warn people about false teaching and to do what else? To warn and encourage, yes. Most of the time when we're walking through a letter in the New Testament, whether it's written by John or whether it's written by Paul, if you see warnings about false teachers, you're probably going to see encouragement for the church as well. And that's exactly what we see as we walk through this book. Does anybody remember Does anybody remember what kind of the, the prevailing bad teaching was that was creeping into the church? Gnosticism. The G is silent. Gnosticism. Yes, that's it. And do you remember the basic idea of what Gnosticism was teaching? Dalton, you got it all written down. Yeah, that's exactly right. The Gnostic belief, the basic belief, there's more to it, but it's physical was bad, spiritual was good. The problem is when you think about the person of Jesus, that creates a problem in your theology. Because if, if Jesus was God, but he was also man, you got a problem there because according to that belief, he couldn't have the physical bad body. He couldn't be who scripture tells us he is. So that's why John's writing. He's like, hey, you, you've got to get your theology right. You've got to understand who God is and who Jesus was according to God's word, not what these other people are teaching you. Because if you've got wrong thinking about who Jesus is, you've got wrong idea about theology. Therefore, you're living it out incorrectly because you don't know who God is. And that's why it's important that we believe what Scripture says correctly, because if we don't, we live it out the wrong way. And that's exactly what he's talking about as we walk through this chapter tonight, or at least the first half of this chapter. So the person I had asked to read our Scripture tonight could not make it. They got sick. So I'm going to ask you guys what we do every week. I'm going to ask you to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. And we're going to walk through these first 14 verses of 1 John chapter Two. I'm going to read my bigger letters here because my contact just went sideways. So here's what it says. First John chapter two, verse one. My little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate, the father with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I am writing you, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. 
But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for who you are, and we thank you for your word. God, thank you that we can spend time together worshiping you through song and through scripture and through prayer and all these different ways that we can see you, that we can know you, that we can feel your presence. And God, I pray that as we walk through this tonight, help us to see where you're calling us to follow truth, to live in obedience, and to love. Help us to live that out as we leave here today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Y'all go ahead and have a seat. So right there at the very beginning, we talked about those two truths that we saw last week. And right here at the very beginning, what John does is he lays out basically the truth of the gospel in two verses. Listen to this again, verses one and two. My little children, when John refers to them as my little children, what he's doing is he's, he's expressing his love for them. He's showing that he, he has compassion, he has love for these people he's writing to. And he says, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So he's writing these words because he cares for them and he cares about their relationship with God. And he says he's writing to them so that they may not sin. Now let's stop there for a second. Is it possible as a believer to get to a point in your life where you never sin again? Why not? I'm just asking an honest answer. That's not a trick question. Why do you think that? Okay, we're not perfect. Who's the only person that ever lived a, a sinless life? Jesus. And he was able to do that because he was who? God. Are we? No. We, we will never, there will never come a day where you say, you know what, I've arrived. Today is the day. I'm not going to have bad thoughts about people. I'm not going to say things I shouldn't say. I'm not going to throat punch my brother and sister when they make me mad. I'm there. I've arrived at that day. You will never reach that day. Because you'll probably get about two, three, four, maybe five minutes in, and you're throat punching your brother and sister because they made you mad. Because that's, that's what we do, because we're sinners. It's, it's, it's in us. And yes, we are forgiven of our sin, but we still struggle with it because we still feel the effects of sin. Scripture tells us all of creation is groaning under the effects of sin, and that impacts our lives every single day. So when he's talking about, hey, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, what he's doing is he's drawing their attention to the fact that you're never going to get to that point. He said that the goal of your life is what we talked about last week. The goal of your life is to pursue holiness the way Jesus calls you to pursue holiness. Because when you're pursuing holiness, you're not pursuing sin. You're pursuing what God has for your life instead of the things that you would rather have for your life. You're pursuing the things that honor God instead of the things that honor you. 
He's saying, hey, that's the goal of our lives. It's a pattern of pursuing holiness every single day because we are going to fail. And that's why he says right there, he jumps into it and he says, if anyone does sin, which everyone does, we have a hope. We have an advocate is what it says right there with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And it goes on to say, he is the propitiation for our sins. That's a big fancy word, isn't it? Does anybody know what that means? Propitiation? What's that? It's a substitute. Yeah. Let me tell you the the Webster definition. It says, there's two different things it says. It says the act, excuse me, it's a sacrifice or offering given to appease. It also says it's the act of gaining or regaining the favor or goodwill of something or someone. It says Jesus was... That sacrifice given. Jesus was the one who made that act of appeasing. And what he appeased was God's wrath. Because scripture tells us that there's a penalty for our sin. Now we just all said, right? There's never a day that we won't sin. It's not possible for us. And because we are sinners, scripture tells us there is a penalty for our sin. And that penalty is death. It's not just a physical death because we all die one day. It's gonna happen. We don't have any choice about that but is also talking about a spiritual death, separation from God for eternity. That's the penalty that is owed for our sin. And yet it says right here that Jesus is the propitiation for our sin. What that means is that if we can't satisfy the penalty for our our own sin, if we can't pay the price that God demands, someone had to step in and pay it for us. And it had to be someone that was sinless, someone that was spotless, someone that was perfect, and that's Jesus Christ. He was the sacrifice. He was the substitute. And when he gave up his life on the cross, he paid the penalty that every one of us owes for our sin. John is encouraging them right now with this truth. He's saying, hey, you're going to mess up. And when you do, you need to remember someone has already paid the price that you owe for that sin. And you simply have to trust him. You have to ask him to forgive you and then pursue holiness for the rest of your life. You see, there's a truth right there that as we look at that truth, we need to understand that God has made that available to every single person that would put their faith and trust in Jesus. That doesn't mean that every single person in all of time and all of history will be forgiven by God because that's not what Scripture tells us. Scripture tells us that there is repentance that is involved. Repentance means I was pursuing sin. I'm not pursuing that anymore. I'm turning around and I'm pursuing God. I'm walking away from those things. That is the only way you're forgiven by Jesus. That is the only way you enter in a relationship with God. And anybody who would put their faith and trust in Jesus and what he has done can receive that forgiveness. And as you begin to live in that relationship, as you begin to understand that forgiveness and that love that God has for you, the love that you have for God begins to grow. And as that love that you have for God begins to grow, some things start to happen in your life. And those are the other things that we see in this passage tonight. The next thing that picks up here in verse 3 is that your love for God is shown by your obedience to God. Listen to this in verse 3. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, 
and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Now, I don't know about you. How many of you have seen um, Elf? When I read that little quote right there where he says, I know him, that is the scene. You guys know the scene I'm talking about, right? When he's in the store and somebody says Santa's coming and he, I'm not going to do it, but he starts screaming his head off. I know him. I know him. That's, that's what I picture right there. It's weird, but that's where my brain goes. But he says right there, whoever says I know him, whoever says I know him, but doesn't keep his commandments is a what? A liar. And the truth is not in him. In other words, if you say you follow God and yet you don't live a life that's obedient to God, Scripture says you're lying. You're lying to yourself and you're lying to everybody else. In fact, this, this kind of gets into the whole idea of assurance of salvation. And let me tell you what that is if, you, if you're not sure what that is. If you've ever had a question of, hey, you know what? I made a decision and I asked God to forgive me of my sin, but I don't know if it's real. I don't know if he really forgave me. Am I really a Christian? Am I really forgiven? Am I really in a relationship with God? Well, Scripture tells us right here, you can know for sure the answer to that question. Are you living in obedience? 1 John 1, 7 says this, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. 1 John 5, 2, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you have a relationship with God, if you love God, if you're pursuing holiness, Scripture says you will live in obedience to His Word. And obedience is a pattern of your life. When you know God and you live in that forgiveness that Jesus has given you, it leads you to obedience. Now, it may be faltering, stumbling, falling down, and getting back up obedience because you mess up time and again, but you will move towards obedience. That's what Scripture tells us. In fact, John refers to it here as abiding in Jesus. And Jesus talks about what that looks like to abide in him in John chapter 15, verses four through six. Listen to this. He says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit apart from me. You can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Jesus says you've got to abide in him. And if you abide in him, then your life is going to start showing that to people. There's going to be evidence, and that evidence is going to be in your obedience to who God's called you to be. And other people will begin to see that. As you live out your life in obedience to God's word, other people will see you living out that obedience. Now let's talk about this. There's basically three reasons why you live obediently to anybody in your life. Number one, it's because you have to. Number two, it's because you need to. Or number three, it's because you want to. And you know what this looks like. When you were a little kid, you had to be obedient to your parents. 
Because you found out real quick, as they laid down rules, as they told you what you could and what you could not do, and you broke those rules, you got in trouble, didn't you? I hope you did. Yeah, what's that? Yeah, it hurt, didn't it? You got punished. So you, you figured out really quickly, you know what? I need to live in obedience because if I don't, things are going to happen that I don't like. But then hopefully, as you got a little bit older, it went from I have to to I need to because you saw some benefit. Maybe, maybe you got an allowance if you did your chores. Maybe you got to stay up a little bit later. Or maybe you got to watch a little bit of extra TV or have a little more game time on your phone. So you decided really quickly, I don't have to obey anymore, but if I want these benefits, I need to obey. And then at some point, I hope you're there. You may not be yet, but I hope you get there. You learn to be obedient because you want to. Because you love your parents. Because you want to honor the way they've asked you to live. And the guidelines, hopefully, that they've set out for you according to God's word. And that's the kind of obedience we're talking about here. We don't obey God because we have to. Oh, I better do what God says or God's going to strike me dead with lightning right now. No, that's, that's not the obedience that God's looking for. We don't do it because we need to. Well, if I obey God in this, then God's going to bless my life and he's going to take care of this for me and I won't have to worry about it anymore. That's, that's not how God works. We live in obedience to God because we want to, because we love him, because we know he loves us. And even when his plan for our lives is not exactly the way we would have it play out, we know that his plan is better than anything we could ever come up with. That's why it talks about how your love for God is shown through your obedience to God. But here's the other way your love for God is shown. It's shown through your love for others. Listen to what it says in verse 7 of 1 John 2. It says, Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. When I first read this, I got a little confused because John is saying, hey, I'm writing to you an old commandment that you already knew, but I'm also writing to you a new commandment, which you've learned. And, and what, what in the world does all of this mean? So I had to go back and do a little studying here. And he's referring to New Testament scripture and he's referring to Old Testament as well. In the Old Testament, there's a couple different verses. We see it in the books of Deuteronomy and Leviticus. Deuteronomy 6.5 says this, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Leviticus 19.18, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So what God told us in the Old Testament and what God told them in the Old Testament scriptures is you're supposed to love God first and then you're supposed to love the people around you. That's the Old Testament commandment he's talking about. But then in the New Testament, we see Jesus say something very similar when he's talking to some religious leaders in Matthew 22, starting in verse 34. It says, when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and they tried to trick him. It says, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Sounds similar to Deuteronomy, doesn't it? This is the great and first commandment. 
And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now, we often shorten that to a phrase that basically goes like this, love God and love others. Maybe you've heard that before, but that's what that's talking about. The love that you have for God is not only shown in your obedience to God, it's shown in the way that you love other people. He goes on in 1 John chapter 2, verse 9, he says, Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. To put it simply, you can't say you love God and hate somebody else, especially another believer. It's not our words, the words of Scripture. It's what it says right there. Because loving other people, loving each other as believers, that's evidence of your salvation. We talked about that assurance of salvation. If you're living in obedience to God, it will be evidenced in your life that you're truly in a relationship with Him. If you are showing God's love to other people in your life, that is evidence that you are in a relationship with God. Scripture tells us that all over the place. 1 John 3.14, and I'm throwing out a lot of verses tonight, but they all matter. 1 John 3.14, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. John 13, 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. How often do we fail at that part? And I say that knowing that's true in my own life. We fail at that as kids. We fail at that as teenagers. We fail at that as adults. Well, you don't understand what they did or what they said about me. You're right, but God does. Well, I just don't like their personality. That's okay, but God does. You don't understand how annoying they are. That's okay. We all say things like that. We've all felt that way about people, and there's probably other phrases that we've used that we don't need to talk about here. But we do this because people are messy and we are very easily offended when somebody does something we don't like or says something that we don't like. And yet we fail at this, but no matter what your age is, if you claim your salvation through Jesus Christ, scripture tells us here, then you have to live that out through your obedience to God and you have to live that out through your love for others. In fact, John makes sure these last three verses He makes sure in these that none of us can claim that we're exempt from this. That truth, obedience, and love, if you claim to be a believer, this applies to everybody. Listen to what he says in those last three verses in verse 12 again. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. John is saying, listen to me. Over and over again in those three verses, he says, I am writing to you. I am writing to you. I write to you. I write to you because of these truths. 
And he's addressing three groups. He's not actually addressing children and fathers and young men. This is this kind of symbolism here. What he's addressing is he's addressing the children. He's addressing all believers. Anyone who says they believe in Jesus Christ. The fathers, those are the ones who are mature in their faith. The young men, those are the ones who are new in their faith and they're growing. So it doesn't matter where you are with Christ. It doesn't matter if you're brand new and you're just learning about this whole walk with Jesus and what this looks like and all of this sounds really kind of off the wall to you. It doesn't matter if you've been walking with Christ for a long time and you're mature in your faith and you know who he is and you're following him in obedience and love. He says this applies to everybody. He says you can live this out. You can do these things because you know who Jesus is. He's encouraging them. He's reminding them of the power of the gospel. And he's encouraging them to stay the course in their pursuit of holiness. To remember the truth of the gospel. To live in obedience to the word of God. And to love others. And that's the challenge I want to give you tonight. Will you do those things? Are you living in obedience to God's word? Even when you really don't feel like it even when it's inconvenient, even when you know what God is calling you to do is different than what all of your friends are doing, maybe different than what your family's doing. Are you going to live in obedience to God's word because you want to honor him, because you love him? Maybe you need to ask God to help you do that tonight. And are you showing God's love to other people? Even the ones that annoy the snot out of you. Even that kid that was in your class today that you're like, man, I'm so glad I'm not sitting to that, next to that kid. Are you willing to show God's love to him? Because if you love God, Scripture says, you're supposed to love others, even when they annoy you. Maybe you need to ask God to help you do that tonight. Maybe in a minute when we stand up and we start singing that last song, maybe you need to just stay still for a second. Stay in your seat and ask God to give you a love for other people. Ask God to give you the courage to be obedient to Him no matter what you're facing because you love Him and because you want to live obediently to Him. Maybe you've got something you're dealing with right now and you need somebody to pray for you. That's what those orange cards are for. Take a card, write it out on there, drop it in this basket because the adults in this room, your life group leaders, they will pray for you because I send those cards to them every single week when you fill them out. Maybe you want somebody to pray with you right now. Grab one of the adults in the room and let's do that. But you have the choice walking out of this room tonight to understand the truth of the gospel, to live obediently to God's word, and to show God's love to other people. Will you do that so that people will know that you trust Jesus? Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. God, we thank you for the opportunity you give us to come together. God, we thank you for your word. God, thank you for... The fact that it shows us how we can live obediently to you, Lord. It shows us how we're supposed to love, even sacrificial love, God, the way that Jesus laid down his life for us, where it cost him everything. God, help us. Help us to be willing to do that tonight. Help us to be willing to do that tomorrow. Help us to be willing to do that because we love you.
God, help us to pursue holiness because we know that Jesus is real and we know he's forgiven us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.